So that is what drives me, creating that table of prosperity for as many people as possible. Because there's a song out there, it's called that you die twice, Molly. You die the day they put you in the grave. The second time and the final time is the last time someone mentions your name. Mm. My vision and everyone's vision should be long after we're gone, just like I mentioned Darnell Martin, people are still mentioning our name because that is a life of legacy. That is a life well-lived. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly. And this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I get to sit down with an incredible entrepreneur, CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an incredible person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is Steve White. He is the president and special counsel to the CEO of Comcast. He served as the president of Comcast's West Division for 11 years, and he has just written his newest book called uncompromising, how an unwavering commitment to your why leads to an impactful life and a lasting legacy. Steve grew up in the projects. He eventually became the president of a large company, and he has just such an incredible perspective on what it looks like to set the right expectations for success, how to live a life of learning, and how to really dig into your why and your purpose, and how in order to create meaningful, lasting work and relationships and so many things. I was so inspired by Steve. He was such an encouraging person to talk to. He was funny, refreshing. He was just one of those people where as soon as I hung up uh, and got off of our conversation, I was like, man, what an awesome guy. You are going to just be smiling and so encouraged by today's episode. So without further ado, on to my conversation with Steve White. Steve, I am so honored to have you. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Molly. I'm so glad to be with you today. You are somebody that the the moment that I first came across you, I, I started looking into just your backstory and, and who you are and all the things that you have done and how you are using your life and your experience to pay it forward, to leave just such a lasting impact on uh, communities. I was like, I want to talk to this guy. So I'm so excited about this. Um, so let's just kick it right off. I'm going to have you give us the Steve White. 101, who you are, what you do, how you got to where you are today. I'll try to keep it short, Molly, but I guess the best way to sum it up, I was the perfect candidate to be a victim, Mm. to not be a contributor to society. Housing projects of Indianapolis, single mother, eighth grade education, raising four boys in the city of Indianapolis. So we had victim written all over us. But through the power of perseverance, my mother was determined that her four little boys would have a better life than she did. And so growing up in Indianapolis, my mother made the decision at 29 years old, never held a job, did not even have a driver's license, made the decision to leave my father. We left Florida to move to Indianapolis to be closer to one of her brothers. Now, I must tell you, as the oldest of four boys, I did not support this decision, but my mother did not run a Democratic household. It was one share, there was one boss, and everybody got in line. And I am so thankful that's the way she did it. But it was a story that the American dream is real. And being a person of color, I'm here to tell you the American dream is available and real. It's hard, it's difficult, and we need to create more opportunities so others, not just people of color, but that others can really enjoy the American dream. Mm. Uh, that's what my life is about. So I uh, went to college at Indiana University, started in corporate America, ending up here at Comcast, where my last assignment, I was president of Comcast West, $18 billion business, 30,000 employees all of our cable operations west of the Mississippi. And I did that for 11 years. And I recently transitioned to be president and special counsel to our CEO of our Comcast Cable Group. I'm married. My wife is named Barbita. And we have a nine-year-old son. And check this out, Molly. We share the same birthday. So if that's not a miracle, 
if that is not a miracle, because we struggled to have children like a lot of couples, mm-hmm. and we lost a couple children along the way, and it was a very difficult process. But whenever we would move, Molly, my wife and I moved 11 times. She would always put a blue and a pink ribbon on a doorknob. It could be to a closet. It could be to an extra bedroom. She kept envisioning that was going to be her nursery for her child. And then in 2012, miracle happened. No assistance, only God making a difference. And we got pregnant and we had this little boy on December 18, 2012. And he's now nine years old. And he's obviously the joy of our life. So that is a short story about my journey and where am I today and uh, really enjoying life, particularly being a dad. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, Steve, first, I want to say thank you for sharing that story about uh, you and your wife. And um, as somebody who uh, we have um, an eight-year-old uh, girl and my son is about to turn six, who I, I just have <laughs> big feelings about it. Uh, he's going to be six uh, actually in a couple of days from when this airs. He, he turned six on February 19th. My husband and I, we celebrate 10 years of marriage on the 18th. Um, so February is a big month for us, but we also, uh, we lost, um, a couple of boys, uh, during pregnancy back in 2018. And so I know firsthand just how difficult that is. And, um, it's something that I feel, I feel very passionate about talking about more and, and it really, uh, it's a connector because people who have experienced that know that feeling. And, um, also the fact that you as a dad acknowledge that, um, I think is so important too, because. I think in the conversation around pregnancy loss, and even though this is even what this episode's about, but just, I think it's an important thing to note that a lot of times the dads get left out of that conversation um, and it affects them too. Um, And so I just want to say, I'm sorry for your loss. And I thank you so much for sharing that and um, just rejoice with you uh, for your son. And I know we're going to talk probably a little bit about him, um, but thank you for sharing that. But Molly, it's an important story to share because as we got more comfortable sharing our story, A lot of times we look at others and we just only see success, Mm -hmm. but life is not a straight line. Life and success is actually a very crooked road. It is. And your ability to navigate uncertainty, to navigate uh, challenges and heartache really makes the other times even more special. So last night, throwing the football with my son makes those times even more special because I know what a miracle it is. Oh man. Yeah. It really is a miracle. And I'll tell you, like there's, you just, I always, I had to laugh. I remember when I was, you know, a couple of years ago and just been like, man, when we were younger, we just thought that like, you could just get pregnant. Like it's just that simple. And anyway, we're not, that's another conversation for another day, but yeah, it really <laughs> is a miracle when you really, and you see how many families struggle and, um, but yeah, what what an incredible story you guys have. So, okay, I want to go back um, because as you mentioned, and I love that this is like one of the first things you said is like everything life had handed you early on in life was that you were set up to be, in your words, a victim. And your mom, which I just want to like hug her, just what an incredible woman she is, like just to know that that was she was determined that that was not going to be how she mothered you and how she led you. Talk to us about that. What was that relationship like with your mom? And, you know, what were some of the things that she really instilled in you so you didn't take on that victim mindset? Yeah, Yeah, such a good question, Molly. And I want to start with the quote that really drives me and inspires me. It's attributed to Mark Twain. The two most important days in your life The first is the day you're born, certainly. The second is when you find out why. Mm. And the difference between success, I believe, is when you can answer that question, why you've been placed on this earth. Because all of us have been placed here for a purpose and a reason. We all bring certain talents to the table. Your job, my job, all of our job is to find out why we've been placed on this earth. And my mother determined that, and we didn't know it at the time. But for her, her purpose in life was to raise four boys that would all make a difference in this society. That was the purpose of her life. And she realized that early on. She probably didn't know the quote, but she certainly learned it. And her first job when we moved to Indianapolis, she was a motel mate. And Molly, that's motel with an M, not hotel with an H. There's no spa. There are no elevators. There's no in-room dining. 
you pull your car up and your door's right there. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the bottom of the bottom. And she did that job with great attitude and great effort. And when we would come along with her on those weekends, we learned hard work. We learned teamwork. We learned commitment. We learned having a great attitude because she could have done that job with a very negative attitude, but she greeted everyone with dignity and respect. And we learned that uh, although her talents were greater than being a motel me, we learned that just because you're in that environment, it does not have to shape how you think Mm -hmm. and how you approach life. Those are some of those valuable lessons. Now, I didn't know I was learning that at 10 and 11 years old. But certainly as I reflect, that got instilled in me and that drives me today. As I tell people, there are only two things in life you can truly control, your effort and attitude. If you ace those two things, your chances of having a life of impact and success go way up. So those were some of those critical things uh, that I learned. Was it difficult? Absolutely. Was it hard? Certainly. We didn't realize we were poor at the time. But as we got more exposure, we knew what we did have, which was love in the home and a commitment to each other. Man, I love how you talked about how just being with her and and witnessing her work ethic and her attitude and all of that, how that was really uh, how you and your brothers really kind of uh, absorb that is almost like, uh, you know, like osmosis. Um, and, you know, and, and I love too, that you said that it's like, it's not the situation that you're in. It's not the job they're in. It's how you, what you learn from it, how you handle it, the attitude you have towards it. I mean, I think about like anytime I had a job in a service-based industry, I mean, I, you know, and I remember there was a time uh, after college because I graduated right before the recession. I graduated in 2007. And then in 2008, 2009, I was a high school teacher, moved to North Carolina. And so there I was 2010, 2009, 2010. And I'm back waiting tables. I'm I'm a food runner at a bar and I'm delivering cheese fries to drunk people at 1.30 in the morning. And I remember like there was a time I had that conversation with myself being like, is this real? Like I have a college degree. Why am I doing this? Like, but I mean, I was a waitress all through college and, and it was in the service based industries that I learned one blood, sweat and tears <laughs> for a lot, of, a lot, but also just dealing with different types of people. Um, mm. What it's what it's like to see you don't know the people that you're interacting with. And in, in the short time, you don't know what what their story is. You don't know what experience they're having that day. Before we started recording, you said, are you having more wins than losses today? Uh, and I love that because it's one of those things like the people you interact with each and every day, you don't know what they're going through. And so when you do a job that even seems like, oh, I'm above this. If you actually see it as, oh no, this is an opportunity. This is, this is where I'm learning a skill set. I'm, I'm, I'm gaining experience through this, even if it's just dealing with people, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like you realize how invaluable everything in life is and how even the seemingly mundane is a gift. Yeah, that's such a good point, Molly. And it also highlights from a leadership standpoint, the impact that you can have on someone else. Even if they're having a bad day, if you greet them with a smile, it is very difficult for someone to be mean to you when you're smiling at them or you're giving them fantastic service. I've seen it happen. People are in a very bad mood, but in a couple minutes, you can change that outlook for them. That is the power of leadership and impact and influence. And when you learn that, that's the power of leadership. Yeah, it really is. And you know, and and something else that you said, uh, just in descri- the way you describe your mom reminds me of that Mother Teresa quote, I believe, what says like, you want to change the world, go home and love your family. And how that was the gift that she that she brought to this world and how you and your brothers are then taking that and and going out and changing the world and the ripple effect that that has for generations is incredible. That's exactly right. And so every time she visits us, she just cries because at the end of the day, Molly, in each of our lives, there are only a handful of decisions that we make that really matter. Now, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've made some decisions that I'm like, oh man, what was I thinking? But the key is to get the right decisions right. Mm -hmm. And in my life, there are only 12 decisions that really have truly mattered. 
that made a difference. Getting those right are the key. And I learned that from my mother, who you surround yourself with, the attitude that you take each day. I'll give you an example. Every year, my wife and I, with our son, we develop what is our headline for the year as a family. So Mm. when the year is over, what's the headline we want to be on the cover of the newspaper? And our headline this year, Molly, was Choose Joy. Yeah. And that takes a conscious effort every single morning when you get up, I choose joy today. So I'm going to put on this armor of joy, knowing that I'm going to take hits throughout the day, but I'm going to put on this armor of joy each and every morning. That takes a conscious decision. Those are the kind of important decisions I'm talking about. That's so good. I, you know, when people, you, we, and I want to dive into this topic because you'd mentioned, you know, the the Mark Twain quote about the the two most important days, one, the day you're born, and then the, the day that you find out why. And, you know, one of the things that I, I mean, the whole reason that I started this podcast is a lot of times people think like, oh, well, you're interviewing like kind of, you know, a lot of conscious-based businesses or maybe businesses that are doing good in the environment, all that kind of stuff. And I say, yes, but also my goal is to hear these stories from different people who then share why they were created and how they are using why they were created to leave an impact on other people. And and my personal why is I'm on mission to spread joy. Like that is that is the gift that I know that God has given me is the gift of of joy and laughter and um you know that just sharing that with other people and where that comes from. Um and and I do that through interviewing and, and through sharing stories and, and and hearing the stories that other people, um, the way that they're impacting people. And so I want to dive into that for you. Like at what point, you know, as your as your mom was raising you and and, and you're starting to realize like, you know, you kind of get past that, like we all go through the stubborn teenage phase where like we think our yes, parents yes. are extremely <laughs> uncool. And we're just like, oh, you're such a killjoy, mom, or whatever it is. You know what I mean? We all go through that. Um, my my eight year old daughter is apparently already embarrassed by me. <laughs> I was like, what? What? She said this to me yesterday. We had this exact conversation. She was like, mom, you know, I'm already embarrassed by you. And I was like, what? I thought I had till you were like at least like eleven or twelve. Um. Anyway, uh, all that aside, I digress. Uh, is you know, at what point? when she was raising you, did she help you kind of discover that why you were born? Or was that something that you really did on your own? Yeah, my friends tell me, they said, Steve, as you raise your son, you don't think they're hearing you now, but they will. It'll come later in life. And so for me, while my mother and others were poured into me, my why really did not become crystal clear to me until I got fired. When I left Indiana University, I joined a company called American Hospital Supply. I started off in sales where they start all their recent college grads. I had great success, probably too much success early on. I was rookie of the year, top quota breaker. I get promoted within 12 months. I moved back to Chicago. I'm at the home office running one of our marketing groups. Then I moved to Michigan as a sales manager. And everything that got me to that point was based on what I did. Mm. Now, when you're leading men and women, it's about what you get them to do. Your success is through them. I didn't learn that. I thought it was still all about me. And I focused on what could this do for me? And I got fired after about 12 months. Now, at the time, I didn't think it was fair. But as I reflect on it, Molly, it was the perfect situation for me. And I realized that if I was going to have any kind of success, any kind of impact, I had to serve others. There's a book called Leaders Eat Last. And I had to learn that. And that was a very painful lesson. And that became clear to me because the day I got fired, Darnell Martin, who's no longer with us, called me up and said, I see more in you than you see in yourself. Mm. But if you continue to do what you're doing, you won't have success. But I believe in you. And he grabbed me, moved me from Michigan to Chicago and gave me a fresh start with the same company, just a different division. And although he received some flack, he was focused on serving me. And while he's been gone 25 years, Molly, here I am still mentioning his name. That's the kind of impact he had on me and others. And through adversity, that's how I learned my why, which is to create a table of prosperity for others. My whole reason for writing the book, Uncompromising, 
really is a love letter to all the men and women that gave me a hand up. Now, Molly, I didn't say hand out, a hand up, which is gave me an opportunity. And now I can pay it forward by sharing it with others. And my hope is I'll make the difference in someone else's life. So that is what drives me, creating that table of prosperity for as many people as possible. Because there's a song out there, it's called that you die twice, Molly. You die the day they put you in the grave. The second time and the final time is the last time someone mentions your name. Mm. My vision and everyone's vision should be long after we're gone, just like I mentioned Arnell Martin, people are still mentioning our name because that is a life of legacy. That is a life well lived. Man, I'd never heard that before. And I really love that. And I just on a personal note, um, that is uh, something that I'm I'm really touched by because my that that was my mom. That was my mom. Mm. Was my mom passed away in 2002. Um Oh, I'm sorry to hear but that. But she she's somebody who lived a life of legacy and I believe her name will continue to be mentioned for I think long after I'm gone. Um and I think that's such an interesting approach to thinking about leaving a legacy to where maybe you don't even die twice. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't that's die right. that second time because your that's name right. you never Right. Yeah. And and because you lived a life in service to others and you left your world, your community better than you found it. That's really we're powerful. Not just talking, and Molly, we're not just talking about Abraham Lincoln. Obviously, I'm sure he would be very surprised that people are still mentioning his name yeah. or Dr. Dr. Martin Luther King. But we know men and women in our community that touched us in a way yeah. that we'll never forget. And we know that they touched others. So when you bring that kind of mentality to the table, what happens, Molly, and this is what people don't understand, you actually get enriched. Your fruit is hanging from multiple trees. If your fruit is only hanging from your tree, it dies with you. Yeah. But if your fruit is hanging on all these other trees, and then they kind of go impact others, and then they share the Darnell Martin story like I did, that's how legacies are created. And you can live a very rich life doing that. I'm a living example. You're an example. We live a very rich life because we're bringing others along for the journey. Mm, That's so good. I want to go kind of continue a little bit with we were talking about how you, you know, we address sort of how you had grown up and you avoided that kind of victim mindset and how, but I, I love what you talked about, how you're a living example of the American dream is real. Um, it's hard, but it's real. And how one of the ways that you're paying it forward is really to lead, I mean, obviously educating your son um, and uh, and just in general, like what it's like to pursue the American dream um, as a person of color and and what does that what does that look like and how can we as a collective society give hand ups, come alongside so that there are support systems in place and and eliminate some of those obstacles you know that that you had to overcome. Yeah, everything starts, Molly, with expectations. Let me give you an example. I had a chance to go to Harvard Business School a few years ago for a training program. And I was in the bookstore and I called my wife up and I said, what's the exact size of of my of Stevie? And so she gave me the size. And what dawned on me was, what if I bought him multiple sizes? The time he was five years old, so he could wear it when he's six, when he's seven and eight. As you know, kids, they grow out of things very, very quickly. So I bought him multiple sizes. So for 10 years, he will be wearing something with Harvard Business School on it, whether it's a sweatshirt or t-shirt. So today he's still wearing Harvard stuff because I bought him like 10 pieces of clothing because I am setting the expectation. Now, whether he goes to Harvard Business School, that's not the point. The point is higher education has already been established as an expectation of what he's going to achieve. And so everything I believe starts with the expectations that I see something in you more than you see in yourself. In my book, I, I have a chapter just talking about expectations. And there was this famous study done in 1968, where they separated school kids in three groups. And they told the teachers, they picked a group randomly, and they told the teachers that this group was a very special group. They had tested very well, and they're the brightest of the bunch. Now, these 20 kids have been picked at random. Another 20 kids have been picked here and another 20 kids here. And the 20 kids that were picked randomly 
end up scoring better than all the other kids because there was an expectation set with the teachers that these are the best of the best. And so the teachers approached them as they were the best of the best. So the way we start is we start creating expectations and start saying, I see the capability in you more so than you can see it yourself. And I'm going to set the bar here. So everything starts with expectations. And I think that's critical. Now, certainly that has to start in the home, but it also can start in the classroom and it can start with others that interact with people that maybe don't have the same opportunity. That's how we start to change the dialogue. That's how we start to change the discussion. And Molly is so critical that we help people answer that second question. Why were you placed on this earth? So as I talk to my son, although he's only nine years old, I'm telling him that you are a miracle baby. There are great expectations for you. You and I share the same birthday because we want everyone to know that this is a miracle. And the reason you were placed on this earth is to make a difference in the lives of others. So you start with expectations. You start to uh, help people answer that question. I grew up with eight very close friends. Half of those friends are now no longer with us, and they all died very violent deaths. And the difference from people say, Steve, why are you here? And maybe Darius is not here, or Bobby is not here, or Thomas is not here, is because someone helped me answer that second question, Mm. why I was placed on this very early on. And once you get a purpose, once that light inside of you gets turned bright, then look out. That's what we have to do. Now, I know that sounds simple. It's very hard to do. It's not about programs. It's not always about scholarships. It's about helping people live a life of purpose. And that's how the light gets brighter. And that's how we start to make a difference. To your point, I think it also, you said, you know, how it starts in the home, but there's so many other places. And you mentioned, you know, things like teachers. And this is something I encourage people all the time is, you know, get it, get connected in your local community and get to know the kids on your street. I mean, I think about, you know, uh, before we moved to the farm where we live, like we lived, uh, you know, on a cul-de-sac and I'm like, I had kids in and out of my house that were not mine all the time. I mean, I can't, I will never forget. There was this one, just the sweetest family. They lived right across the cul-de-sac. They had seven kids. In a, wow. in a three bedroom house. And I was like, Lord bless that mother um, and, and father. But uh, they, they were just the sweetest family. But it was, you know, they were just the kids who my kids would be outside playing with them in the cul-de-sac all the time. And I would come downstairs and like <laughs> one of the older sons, Jamal, would just be like in my pantry eating snacks. I was like, Jamal. <laughs> what are you doing? He's like, you got better snacks here. Like, and I was like, what are you doing? Get out, get out of my house. Go, go, go to your house and eat food. But it was, you know, it was this kind of thing where just all the kids in the neighborhood, like they had multiple sets of parents, you know what I mean? And, and how I was able to encourage the neighbor kids in, you know, just, and just telling them how awesome they are and how smart they yeah. are and, and sharing successes. And, and my neighbor's uh, kids' parents were doing the same thing for my kids and how vital that is. And, and whether you're a coach or a teacher, you know, the things that you say to kids, like it sticks. And, you know, I think back to things that teachers said to me that spoke life into, into me or things that teachers or coaches said to me that maybe knock the wind out of my sails a little bit. Um, one of the things that I've tried to do with my own kids and kind of not, I, I don't have a sweatshirts for them for Harvard, but anytime my kids, especially my five-year-old son, he likes to be like, I can't do that. I can't do that. Ah! My thing is I try to immediately say, you can't do it yet. You just haven't learned yet. You're learning, you're practicing. And so saying that like, I can't do something rather than say like, I'm learning how to do this. And just that little change in the dialogue in that, that narrative that we're kind of re that we're wiring into our brains and in our kids' brains, it's powerful, you know? And so I just, I, I love that that was, that was an approach that you've taken with your son. Um, and it was something that you learned. And, uh, I think that's a lesson that so many people can take to really create change. Cause again, it goes, it goes right back to like, go home and love your family. But sometimes your family doesn't have to be blood family. It can be neighborhood family. It can be coach family, chosen family. I love that, Molly, because we know they're always watching. Yeah. We don't think they're watching, but they're watching. Listen, here's, here's something else I would like to share with you to build on your comment. 
Now, you probably meet more people because you meet a lot of interesting people doing what you're doing. But each and every one of us, every day of our life, we're going to interact with the stranger. Let's say you're going to interact with three or four different people every single day of your life. So let's say you live to 100 years old. Multiply every day, 365 days a year times 100 times five people. So at the end of your life, do those people remember you because you made an impact? You said a kind word or you encouraged them or you gave them a compliment or you smiled at them. You just never know. And when you start to look through that lens, like you did with this with Jamal and other kids, boy, you start to realize each and every one of us in our own way can make a real mm-hmm. difference. That's the magic of, of living a life that's well-lived. I'm going to take a quick break from my chat with Steve to thank our partner of the show, and that is Mama Suds. Are you looking to clean up your household cleaning products this year? Mama Suds is here to help. The best way is to simply start with one product. Every time you run out of a specific cleaning product, replace it with a non-toxic one. Another tip, purchase a product that has multiple uses. The Mama Sets collection has many multiple use products like the Castile soap, the toilet bombs, the multi-purpose cleaner. Their blog has tons of great tips and a Castile soap recipe that you can print and make a lot of your own effective cleaners. Try at mamasets.com and don't forget to use that coupon code MOLLY for 15% off your order. Now back to my conversation with Steve White. Now, another thing that I know is a really big part of your life and was something that, uh, you know, your mom instilled uh, in you and, and really it's one thing that I know you, you talk about in your book is your Christian faith and how that has yes. played into um, your, your business and, and your life. And talk to us about how your faith has guided you through the ups and the downs and the the windy road that has led you where you are. Yeah, Travelers Rest Baptist Church. So I don't know if there are any other Baptists living, listening, but in Indianapolis, small church, uh, that's really where I gave my life to the Lord and rededicated myself to the Lord February 1997. Uh, my wife, obviously, is a Christian woman. She has a ministry. She goes into prisons to preach mm. the gospel, to help others. She leads an organization called Moms in Prayer in my son's school, where yeah. she gets together with other moms. They pray for, for the children. They pray for the schools. My mother obviously was a praying mother. So I've had faith in God throughout my life. And sometimes I've wavered. There's no question about it. We all do. But I would be really arrogant to believe, Molly, that the success that I've enjoyed based on where I came from was all me. Mm. Uh, that would be really, really arrogant. And so when you start from the premise that our destiny is set and that our job is to go fulfill it, I would be very arrogant to think that that was uh, all done on myself. And so I remember my pastor telling me, he said, Steve, my pulpit just happens to be here in the church on Sunday and Wednesday night. And if you're Baptist, that you go to church two or three times a week. <laughs> but this is my pulpit. God has placed you in business. That is your pulpit. And the way you handle yourself and lead others with kindness and firmness, but fairness, that's how you make an impact. And so when I started thinking about myself as as a carrier of God's message, and this just happens to be my pulpit, it allows me to lead in a way that I believe others will respond to. The other part of this, Molly, is that I start my day every day in prayer because it gives me that armor to go through the day because life is hard. Life is, we're going to have challenges, we're going to have failures, but to go through things like COVID and not have that shell of armor is something I can't imagine. So it allows me to get up every single day without an alarm clock, with joy, ready to take the day on. And there's nothing else I've found, a new car, a great vacation, new clothes, more money. Nothing has given me that shield to go out every day. So for me, it feels like breathing because I can't imagine uh, not living each and every day with that shield on. I love that so much. And I love how you talked about that. It would be arrogant of you. And I, 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 I love that because... 
that's that's <laughs> you know that's been a lot of my story too and i think there's a lot of believers that uh would say the exact same thing is like it would be real arrogant of me if i thought life was all about me and that i did it's this all, about all me. myself um one of my but you have to do your part though right Molly? Yes. would you agree you have to do your part yeah you know, and I think about it's it's actually in my in my personal study time right now. Um, I'm doing a, a Bible study of, of on the book of Matthew. And just I mean, to that exact point is one of the things that just had never really occurred to me as many times as I had read this story. It was, you know, in in Jesus's miracle, the feeding of the five thousand is, you know, Jesus has compassion on the crowd. He sees they're hungry, but he asks the he, he knows what he's going to do. If he wanted to, he could make food appear out of thin air, but he involves the disciples and he says to them, well, what do you, what do we have? And this little boy brings his five loaves and his two fish. And they're like, well, that's not enough. And Jesus is like, you start, you feed the crowd. Mm-hmm. And so the miracle we always think of is like, oh, well, Jesus fed the 5,000. The disciples have fed the 5,000. Jesus made the miracle happen where the food just kept coming and kept coming. And then we have 12 baskets left over. But it had just never really occurred to me that it was he intentionally involved the disciples in the miracle and he put them to work. How the miracle really came about was God did the miracle, but it was with what they brought. And so I think all the time of like, Every single day, so often I'm like, all right, Lord, I'm giving you my five loaves and my two fish. It's not much today. Mama needs you to multiply it. Okay. I'm going to just bring you what I got in my hand. Uh, and I cannot do this thing that's in front of me without you. So I'm going to bring you my five loaves and my two fish and I'm going to need you to do the rest. Um, yeah. And, but yeah, it's, it's God's intentionality in involving us in the work and in the miracle and that he could do it without us. He chooses not to. That's so good, Molly. And the point I would add to that, and he will do it in his time frame, oh, not, yeah. ours. not ours. Not ours. So patience, <laughs> patience is very important to this process Ooh. because just when it seems as darkest, that is the time when you need to double down in prayer and other things. That's how you see it through at those darkest times. Mm, yeah. Oh, man, we could do a whole podcast episode on patience. <laughs> Woo! Woo! All right. Um, <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Okay. So there's a couple of things I want to talk about before we, before we wrap up. And one is I would say in one of the top most common questions I get asked is that question of, well, how do I find my purpose? How do I find it? And my one of my dearest friends, Liz Bohannon, she always talks about how you don't actually find your purpose, you create it. But I would love to know kind of and, and I see you nodding your head. And I just, I would love to know what's your ap- approach to this, because I know you kind of have this term finding your yeah. fight. So how do you approach it when people ask you that question of well, how, how do I find my purpose? How do I know why I was born? You know, I talk about morning prayer, but Whatever you're into, the key is to find moments when you can be quiet, where you can be with yourself. Find a place, either at your office, at your home, find a place where you can go be quiet and reflect on that question. But when I think about it, uh, Molly, I think about writing my book, Uncompromising, which comes out February 22nd. None of us are John Grisham, so none of us are going to get rich writing a book. So the question becomes, what are you good at? And what would you do for free if you could? If you're good at it and you would do it for free, that becomes the intersection of where your purpose is because you've got passion behind it and you're good at it. Put those two together, that will help you to start narrowing in on why you were placed on this earth because everything starts with passion and commitment. And I know for me, helping leaders be the best they can be. I would do it for free. I get so much enjoyment out of that. Talking to you today about helping others. And my hope is our listeners today will will be inspired by this conversation. It will inspire them to take the next level. And maybe they're having a tough day, a tough week, a tough year. And they'll listen to our conversation and be inspired. 
that just gives me goosebumps. Mm -hmm. And you and I are doing this. I'm not getting paid for this. This is an opportunity for us to share with others. So find some time to reflect. Reflect on that question. Write it down so you see it every single day. And then start thinking about what are you good at? What are you passionate about so much that you would do it for free? That will help you to start narrowing in on your purpose and where you can really make a difference. And what I find, Molly, and maybe you agree with this, it always involves helping someone else. It's never all about you. Mm-hmm. If your purpose becomes serving only you, I would say go back to the drawing board because you haven't found your purpose. You are so right. Um, and there is a reason why uh, my life verse, the ver- the the verse that just kind of guides is my guiding light is first Peter four ten, which is each of you has received uh, a gift, which is uh, you're to be a faithful steward of that gift because it is a form of God's grace um, in its various forms. And you're to use that gift to serve others. And I love that, that idea of being a faithful steward of the gifts, because the, the whole idea of what does a steward do, a steward takes care of something. And it more often than not, a steward does it, they take care of something in service to others. And so, uh, yeah, it's when you realize that your talents, your gifts, your passions were not meant to serve, to be self-serving, but to serve others. uh, That's, that's where things change. And it's amazing, Molly, when you do what you love and you're good at it and you would do it for free, God finds a way to make sure you're taken care of. Mm -hmm. So focus on the process not the end result. It's so often we're focused on the end result. I want to be rich, or I want to have a big house, or I want money in the bank, or I want to go on a great day. I want to do all these things. Just focus on the process. Yeah, Those things will take care of themselves. So good. Now, we've talked about it a little bit, but I want you to put in a plug for your book and talk about that and, and the you know, the kind of the why behind it, but it's called uncompromising how an unwavering commitment to your why leads to an impactful life and a lasting legacy. So talk to us about the book. Where did the the kind of the the source of this book come from and what do you hope it does? Well, we talked about serving others. So therefore the title says, wait a minute, Steve, you've been talking about serving others and now you're uncompromising. But I want to go back to that quote, the Mark Twain quote, the two most important days of your life, the day you're born and the second is when you know why. And that's where the title originates. When you find out your purpose in life, when you find out why you've been placed on this earth, that is what you're uncompromising. That is what you're ruthless in pursuit. And there will be naysayers. There will be people saying, why are you even thinking about doing that? You just stay focused on your purpose. And that is what you're uncompromising on. And that's where the title originates. And in the book, Molly, I talk about seven pathways that have helped me, that have guided me through my life to have a life of impact. And so therefore, this is a how-to book. This is a book that challenges you to make you think about your own purpose and give you a roadmap to not only identifying your fight, but then how do you stay focused on that? And these seven pathways certainly is number one, find your fight. Number two, how do you stay focused on the prize, what I call the real prize? Number three, how do you live life as a learning lab? Because in pursuit of your why, you have to be on this journey of constant growth and development. Number four, think and act like a business. As you pursue your why, it can't be an emotional journey. It has to be very focused. And so I talk about this notion, think and act like a business, because most businesses are very objective. They know exactly what they're trying to do, and they never lose sight of that. Number five is own your attitude effort, because there'll be those ups and downs. Number six is we talk about how to navigate uncertainty, because there's no straight line to success. I think you would agree with that, Molly. And then the final piece is commit to what I call road dog relationships. And those are relationships of men and women that you surround yourself with that are truth tellers, that'll challenge you to be the best you can be and help you reach your why. So that's the purpose of the book. And my hope is whether it's one or 10,000 or 100,000, that it will hopefully make an impact in someone's life. And finally, this is my love letter to all the men and women that gave me a hand up, not a handout, but a hand up, which is an opportunity. What better way to honor them? 
than to pay my lessons forward to someone else. That's how I allow their legacy to live on is by sharing that. And I talk about a lot of those mentors in my book, uh, most who are no longer with us, but has such an impact that I want to recognize them so their name never dies, that others will start mentioning their name as well. That is incredible. I can't wait to read it. Uh, And so for everybody, please go uh, pre-order the book. It comes out next week. And uh, I know that February 22nd, February 22nd. That's exactly right. February 22nd. And so go, I will have the link um, of where you can get it in the show notes, but I'm at pretty much you can get it wherever books are sold. Search uncompromising by Steve White, get you a copy of this. And I know uh, from my friends who have written books, pre-orders are big. So you can still do that right now. uh, If you listen to this the first week, this episode's live. But if you're listening to this after the book has already come out, you can go get it. You should go get the book. Um, Steve, this has been fantastic. Uh, but before we go, now is the time where we just ask some fun get to know you questions. So I love it. All right. I love it. All right. So if you had to watch the same movie for the rest of your life, like you couldn't watch any other movies, you could only watch one movie for the rest of your life, what would it be? It's a guilty pleasure, Godfather one and two. Ah! So sorry. It's my guilty pleasure. No, it's not a guilty uh, pleasure. I think it's like one of the top movies of all time. I, I know they kill people in the movie, but I love the family. I love the bond between the father and the son, the loyalty of the mom, uh, how they how they started with nothing and, and got to, you know, unfortunately, the heights of a very bad industry. Yeah, I was like, but, but they got <laughs> uh, to the top. All right. That's exactly. But I can watch that movie over and over and over. Oh, I love it. What are you reading or listening to lately that has been uh, really just life-giving? Well, you know, uh, another guilty pleasure book called Extraordinary Golf. I'm a struggling golfer like a lot of people, but on my nightstand is my Bible. I start each day, uh, it's called uh, my Bible, but it has a daily devotional attached to it where every day you just read a part of the Bible and it takes two or three minutes. That's what I need for nourishment each day. There are a lot of books that give me pleasure, but it's short-term pleasure. I'm looking for something that gives me real meaning. So for me, that's what gets me going. I love it. Uh, I uh, am a former golfer, so we should totally. If you're ever out former, North, well, so I former? I played growing up. Um, I oh. played from my dad was a teaching professional uh, for a few years, and so basically from like the time I could walk, my dad put some sawed off clubs in my hand and um, played in my first tournament in elementary school and uh, played competitively all through middle school and high school, and then broke my dad's heart when I told him I didn't want to play in college. So now I just play for fun. And it's fun because I get to like, sometimes because it's, you know, I I don't know really any women who play. So it's almost always guys. Um, My husband thinks this is very funny. Uh, Like I've in the past, you know, if I heard if I was at work, this is years ago. But if I was Mm -hmm. at work, I'd hear some guys be like, yeah, we're gonna go play golf this weekend. We're gonna like bet and I'd just be like, can I come and like, I I know how to play a little bit. And then I would end up like swindling them for money. So and then I by the end, like all the guys were crying and I I walked away with some money. So well, next time I see you bring your club so you can help my game. Yes, yes, we'll do it. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm not saying I'm proud of it. I'm just saying that I may or may not have used the skill to my advantage previously in the past. Um, But yeah, I love I love it. I haven't played in a long time. But anyway, moving on. Um, Okay, when the movie about your life is inevitably made, who do you want to play you in that movie? There's only one person, Denzel Washington. Washington. That's that's who my wife will want to play. That's who I want because yes. women love him, guys admire him and want to be like him. So he is the perfect candidate and he seems like a good guy. I've never met him, but he just seems like a real person yeah. who has values, uh, who's vulnerable, who loves his family. He just seems like the guy, at least what I know. I don't know him personally, but yeah. at least what I think I know. Uh, he's uh, he's a role model, and that's why I want to play me. Yeah. Oh, that's a good choice. I mean, who doesn't <laughs> love Denzel? I mean, I don't really trust people who don't like Denzel. Um, but funny enough, I think it's his wife. His wife is like from the small town where my husband is from in North Carolina. Mm. And so I guess her family is still there. And so this is just one of those, like I've heard through the grapevine when we go, Mm -hmm. you know, visit my husband's parents, 
is like since his wife's family's still there, like they come to visit and like, it'll, you know, they eat at restaurants and stuff around there and that they are just like the most lovely people, kind and uh, just generous. Like you would just never know. Like you would you would be like, oh, yeah, it's Denzel Washington. But you would just you'd never know because he's just such a good That's guy. Exactly so. right. Perfect. Perfect. I love it. Um, OK. And then my last question, this is the question I ask all my guests is what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? Uh, that's such a big question, such an important question. I think about life is such a challenge. How do you make decisions? And so knowing that you have a moral compass that's guiding you, Molly, it actually takes the stress away from you because the decision is very clear to you. Sometimes it takes you a while to actually pull the trigger, make the decision, but it's actually clear. So wouldn't that be wonderful to lead a business without a lot of stress? because you know the answer to the question when it comes. And that's what it means to me. It's called freedom. Mm. And it allows me to lead with purpose, not looking over my shoulder, because we clearly identify where the mountaintop is. And it gives everybody a sense of freedom, knowing that's where it's going to go. And the goalpost is not going to move. Because how frustrating is it, Molly, to be on a journey and then the goalposts change? Yep. But when you know that is rock solid, it gives you freedom and that's liberating. So good. Steve, this has been an absolute honor and a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And I can't wait to read your book. And uh, congratulations on the birth of a book, baby. It's a big deal. Um, Thank you for being here. Thank you, Molly. Friend, I would love to know what you loved about this episode or something that you learned. Find me on social media. I'm at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And don't forget to use that hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast when you're sharing the show with a friend. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If you are a first time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to check out the archives for past shows featuring so many incredible entrepreneurs, business owners, community leaders who are changing the world. If you are a regular listener of the show, Thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for tuning in week in and week out. Be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, Overcast, Stitcher, basically wherever you get your podcasts, click that subscribe or follow button. To click that button means you will never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you take a moment to just leave a review? Would you take a moment to maybe share one of your favorite episodes with a friend? Leaving a review, sharing the show with a friend, It is totally free for you and it is the biggest help for me in the entire world. You have no idea how much I appreciate it. It just also helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is impacting you. As always, this show is produced by the incredible team at Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening. Now go do something good with purpose on purpose.